And so if you have a child who is in touch with their emotions and where they are at any given moment and they can express themselves and they can ex and really learn to dream for themselves and know that they're in charge of their future, it doesn't matter if you're born poor or where you are from, that is temporary. Where you're going and what you're going to do in life, that's what really matters and that onus is on you. Hello, Assyrian Podcast family. It's John here in Chicago bringing you episode 54. In this episode, our guest Mona Antoine tells us about her educational program, Mindfulness Leader, which began as an after-school class and has evolved to a high school elective in multiple Chicago public schools. Her experience as a young child, new to the United States at the time, and endless support given to her by her mother, helped shape her path to becoming the educator and mentor she is today. It took me six episodes, but I finally found an Assyrian Chicagoan with a personal Oprah Winfrey story. In all seriousness, though, it's wonderful to have someone in our community like Mona who provides this education and outreach to the youth who could really use it, regardless of whether they're Assyrian or not. You can find more about Mindfulness Leader and Mona herself at mindfulnessleader.org, and give them a like on Facebook and a follow uh, on Instagram at mindfulness underscore leader. Support for this podcast comes from Tony Caligaracos and the injury lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligaracos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. Support also comes from John O'Shana with HomeSmart International. Whether you are thinking about buying or selling real estate in Arizona or California, put John's proven track record to work. John's focus is residential, multi-units, and commercial properties. Check John out on Facebook.com slash John O'Shana Realtor or Instagram at john.oshana, that's Oshana with O-U-S-H-A-N-A. Contact him today at 209-968-9519. And without further delay, here is Mona to tell you all about Mindfulness Leader. In 2017, you founded a nonprofit after-school program called Mindfulness Leader. Tell us all about what Mindfulness Leader is. Mindfulness Leader is about teaching the youth life skills through the art of mindfulness. Uh, kids between the ages of 7 and 24 years old. It started off as an after-school program and it has become a high school elective now. And so the reason I started Mindfulness Leader was because before this work, I had worked with uh, Oprah Winfrey and I had studied with all of my favorite teachers and uh, uh, spiritual spiritual teachers. And um, I thought to myself, why shouldn't this be available to our youth? Why do you have to attend a $10,000 workshop to have this knowledge? And so uh, the city approached me and asked me to create a program. I created a program, it turned into four programs to 10 workshops 
to a non-for-profit organization because I wanted to offer it to our Chicago youth for free. Can you tell us what, in kind of a nutshell, mindfulness is? Mindfulness is just really being present in the moment and having kind, focused thoughts for yourself. Because if you notice, we have that chatter in our mind all the time that just is like talking garbage to us. And we kind of operate from there. Mindfulness is operating from your GPS, your intuition, your extension to God. And being nice to yourself, being nice to others, and being present. And you mentioned the age range uh, initially was kind of targeted towards 7 to 24. Yes. Currently, it's a high school elective. Do you see that also going into elementary schools and even junior colleges and universities? Definitely see it going uh, towards that direction. The only reason it's been in high schools is because that's just where the contracts and the fundings and the grants have gone towards. And as a new organization, I wanted to get that under my belt completely before expanding it even further. But I, I feel like we're growing really fast as a one-woman show. We went from one program up to four programs. And uh, just last weekend, I was training the Chicago teachers, which is something I never thought I would do. I normally don't work with adults, uh, but that was really fun. And I thought to myself, well, who knows what else this can turn into, you know? So your schedule might be a little hectic at times. It's kind of all over the place. It's all over the, all over the place. I teach in the mornings. I teach after school. I do workshops on the weekends. But what's fun about it is I'm teaching mindfulness. So it is forcing me to practice mindfulness. And so I, I feel really good. My only problem is, is I, I need to find that balance for sleep sometimes. But flowing seven days a week, I feel really good. It doesn't feel like work to me. It's a, it's a lot of fun, actually. That's excellent. I always get a joy out of asking people about what they do. And when they say it doesn't feel like work to them, yeah. I feel like at that point, you've made it. You yeah, know? That's, that's the balance I'm trying to find out. Like right now, is this... Should I stop working? But how could I stop working at 1030 at night on a Friday night when this is so much fun? You know, I'm flowing with God's energy. I don't want to stop working. <laughs> you and your family came to the United States when you were six years old. Uh, did you experience some of the hurdles from that point and all the way through high school that some of these kids you work with experience? Definitely. And um, that is a part of why I created a program where the youth is heard and seen and these skills are taught. When I came to this country, it was extremely difficult. I didn't speak the language. It was a last minute decision my parents made. We were fleeing the Iran and Iraq war where the border was going to be shut and until the state is still shut. And so we left, we landed here in Chicago and um, it was very difficult. I technically did not, I technically, started speaking English in the third grade. So I was always behind. And it was in the third grade that that spark was ignited with me to advocate for other kids who were foreigners, who didn't speak the language. I felt like it was my place to have their back and put my foot down for them. In a previous conversation we had, you mentioned that you were learning Spanish before you were even learning English. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So um, I look Latino. I, I'm a Syrian, Chaldean, Armenian. Um, 
But um, because, you know, we all look the same, I was put in a Spanish uh, class. And when they found out at the end of the year that I was a Syrian, the whole year I was learning Spanish, I thought it was English, they put me back. And so then I, I had to start all over again. Do you have any memories of being that young and like having, because you know, when our when we're that young, our minds are like sponges, they yeah. say. Did you find that Spanish was kind of coming to you easily? Or was it kind of, was it too foreign for you to even grasp the Spanish language, let alone English? I honestly thought I was learning English and I thought I was doing okay. Nice. I mean, what, what did I know? I was just a... Um, a refugee sure. from Baghdad, Iraq. I remembered school back there. We come here and I'm six years old and I'm thrown into the school system and I think I'm learning English and it's Spanish. <laughs> you know, my parents were each working three jobs. So it's, they didn't think anything was wrong because I was upset because I didn't understand because I was in a new country. Sure. Um, but I, I, I feel like, I feel like I had those struggles for a reason. And when I look back, everything that I went through growing up um, led me really to what I'm doing today. So it was a benefit for me to go through that so that I can identify it and see it in the youth now. Because if it was just perfect for me, I wouldn't have this compassionate heart and uh, this drive to make a difference for our youth. Was there a teacher or perhaps a mentor early on in your life who was so impactful in your development that they perhaps planted the seeds of you eventually becoming a mentor educator yourself? Most definitely. I would say my mother, my mother is such a warrior. She decided on her own, she was gonna come here with her five kids and it did not matter what my father said, he didn't wanna come along. He actually came along three weeks later. Growing up, my mom always thought I could do the impossible. So whenever I came to her with excitement of something wonderful happened, her response was, well, I'm not surprised. It's you. And I would think, wow, mom, you like, can I get a little reaction from you? But growing up, becoming an adult, I, I see now where she was coming from. She just really believed and saw something in me that I didn't see. I'm a lot like her. And if she had the opportunity, she'd probably doing, she'd be doing the same exact work. And my other teacher would be uh, my rabbi, who I started working with almost a decade ago, who told me I'd be doing this work on a big platform. And I just kind of laughed at him, but continued to work with him. And uh, in fact, I just saw him last week and we kind of laughed about it because he told me a long time ago I'd be doing this and I thought he was absolutely crazy. But he's a great, he's a great mentor and rabbi and teacher to me. And so is, so is my mother. That's a wonderful story that you had two supportive people in your life in different stages. Your mother, yeah. obviously, from day one, and uh, your rabbi more recently. But that we all kind of need that person to give us that extra boost at certain times in life. And you had your entire life. And it was even more than just them. I, my husband of 28 years is the most supportive person. And so even... Even if I didn't want to do this work, like there are days where I'm discouraged, he already sees the finished product in me. And so he won't let me give up because I'm having a stressful day because uh, I can't figure something out. So my family, my sisters, 
I feel so blessed to be surrounded by so many people who believe in me and what I'm doing. And I feel like I've always had that my whole life. How did you establish a relationship with the high schools where Mindfulness Leader is offered? Honestly, they just approached me. They approached me. I did. I ran some programs for the city and the city really liked them. So they added more programming and I had the idea I should probably partner up with the city. And within a week, we were in a meeting together. Um, I'm in a cohort with the Chicago police. There are no coincidences. I'm doing God's work. So this is all already, these are destiny steps. This is all planned for me. And within that week, I met the lady. Two days later, she was in my home office. I had my vendor ID. And this fall will probably be up to 15 programs. Wow. I know I brought this up in a, a previous interview somewhere, and, and I'm blanking on which one it was, but I feel like Chicago gets this reputation as you have to go through so much red tape and bureaucracy just to open up a brick-and-mortar retail store. Was there Were there any bumps in the road whatsoever in getting this established where you had to sign extra papers, go see somebody about anything, or did, was it just a, a simple, simple process for you to go through? It wasn't a simple process because this is not my background, uh, running a non-for-profit organization. I think the process is a normal process, the way it is in other cities. And my perspective is things are always working out. Even if something is difficult, it can be figured out. Call someone up, Google something. So my perspective is everything is easy. Even if it is hard, there's a way to work it out. And so that's... It's a great perspective to have. And another great perspective is that, uh, you know, one of the goals listed on mindfulnessleader.org, the website, is reversing generational poverty. Uh, That struck me as very admirable because it's been such an issue throughout all of history. Ever since there's been human beings, we've had people in poverty, and it usually tends to focus itself on certain subgroups and whatnot. And how does mindfulness tackle such a broad issue like poverty? This is how it tackles it. I am teaching the youth emotional skills, life skills, skills that I studied and learned with these great teachers who only rich, successful people are privy to. I took all those skills and broke them down for the youth and made them project-based. And so if you have a child who is in touch with their emotions and where they are at any given moment and they can express themselves and they can and really learn to dream for themselves and know that they're in charge of their future, it doesn't matter if you're born poor or where you are from, that is temporary. Where you're going And what you're going to do in life, that's what really matters. And that onus is on you. So once they learn these skills, the the possibilities are limitless. It's like the ceiling has been removed from above their heads. Yeah, absolutely. In 2018, you were recognized by Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel uh, and the Department of Cultural Affairs as one of the, quote, educators of the year. Um, You were invited to the White House. Now, this was all after only two, three years of implementing Mindfulness Leader. Did you ever predict such a quick recognition and praise for all of your work in this program? In 2018, honestly, the second year, I thought to myself, if I'm going to get some serious sponsorship or funding, I better ask God right now for someone to recognize me 
for doing this work. Honestly, I just put an intention out into the universe to say, hey, you know, I'm doing this work. Can somebody come check it out? And that is exactly what happened. I didn't write a letter. I didn't go knock on anybody's door. I didn't pick up a phone. It's just a matter of putting out our intention. And this is exactly what I teach in the curriculum. I put a pure intention out there. And the way that it came back to me was not my business to figure out. It was just my business to allow it. Because we're not making anything happen as human beings. We have to allow it. We have to feel our worthiness. And whoever is worthy back flowing with God's energy, like attracts like, it happens that easily. We have to put a little bit more confidence into the world, into something greater than ourselves. Like our intuition, God, source. And operate from there and know that everything is okay. For example, we woke up this morning, we did absolutely nothing to have our heart beating all night. But then we stress over being late for work. You know, perspective is everything. And this is all stuff that the youth is learning in this 92 hour curriculum. For a lot of people, work is something that, you know, they leave at their job. Uh, your career centers around helping people improve themselves. You're a mother as well. And of course you need to look after yourself too, as we all do. Uh, does it ever become difficult to strike a balance between taking care of yourself and taking care of other responsibilities? It only becomes an issue for me when I don't know what work is because this doesn't feel like work to me. So I'm doing it all the time. I'm always taking meetings, calls, running programs, doing whatever I need to do to make a difference in someone else's life. That doesn't feel like work to me. It sometimes does catch up to me and it reflects in uh, five hours of sleep and that's when I have to do something about it. But honestly, I flow with God's energy. That is a privilege and a blessing of a lifetime. It does not feel like work to me. That's interesting. I always tend to ask people about, you know, what they might do as a hobby or uh, what else interests them, but it seems like uh, what you do is kind of both a, a hobby, a passion, and a profession. So it all kind of, it's all encompassing. But is there anything you kind of do when, you know, let's say it's lazy Sunday evening, uh, what is Mona up to? You know what, I like to watch The Office with my 12-year-old uh, daughter. It's her favorite show. And so we'll sit and we'll laugh. I'm big on laugh, laughing because oh, yeah. it does raise your vibration. It does move you emotionally up the scale because as humans, we live all over the emotional scale. And so anytime I can watch something that is funny or hang out with family and friends and we're having a good time laughing, that's what I like to do. I'm, I'm, I'm a comedian at heart. If you and your daughter both enjoy The Office, if you have not already, I highly recommend Parks and Recreation. I think it's the same creative team that came up with it. They still have the, the breaking the fourth wall camera shots, and it's, it's arguably funnier than The Office is. I think you both would enjoy that one. I'm going to put that on our list next. But that's good. I think I'm going to go into work uh, you know, this week, and I'm just going to say, uh, you know what, this is... Um, uh, this I, I love my job and this is just what I do for eight hours a day and this is also a hobby and see how much my, my mindset on going into work changes. Honestly, this mindfulness leader, it all started in seed form. It literally took me three weeks to create the curriculum because I had studied for 16 weeks. I sit back and laugh 
that it is such a big deal now because I just, it's a hobby. It's my dharma. It's my passion. It's, I didn't even know it was a dream. It, your perspective on life is really everything. It determines your whole mood. And so if you could even look at the times that you're going through that aren't so great, maybe reflect back on them on what good things did come out of it. Like for example, when Harpo shut down, everyone was really upset. I was the only one running around the office really happy because I thought, okay, now I'm going to do this big thing, but I don't know what it is. And so that was my perspective. And I took six months off and it snowballed into the city asking me to create a program. And I kind of laughed thinking to myself, okay, I will have some fun with this. And it actually turned out to be really good material. <laughs> Let's talk about you. You mentioned working at Harpo Studios where the Oprah Winfrey show was filmed among the other television programs. Um, how different was that uh, as far as career wise than what you're doing now? I honestly enjoyed that too, because I was a production accountant and an in-house mentor. I really enjoyed that because I got excited for whatever teacher was coming on because I knew I was going to be privy to their classes and workshops going under Oprah's umbrella. I would sit there eight hours a day listening to my favorite teachers while I was cutting checks. And so it was a time for me to work on myself because when you work harder on yourself, than you do at your job, you're gonna be so much more rewarded. So I just always made it a point, if I was gonna go into work for eight hours, I was also gonna work on myself at the same time. It took a little bit more concentration because I had to focus on, uh, for example, the, the checks I was cutting, but then I also had the teacher in my ear for eight hours. And so it was, it was nice, I didn't wanna leave. But then I got to come home to my family that I love so much. And this was fun. So it was just great. <laughs> Did you ever deal with Oprah one-on-one -on -one at all? Yes. How uh, was that like? That's like? We're talking about not only just a Chicago icon, yeah. but kind of like a worldwide icon. I have to say, she is an amazing, she was an amazing boss as an amazing teacher. We had a spa at Harpo and she was waiting for her turn to get a facial and I was before her. And my facial went over and they came to knock on the door and um, the technician and I were getting ready to leave because we noticed it was her. And she was like, no, no, Mona, it's okay. Finish your facial. I was just like, you know what? What a humble, gracious, outstanding lady she is. Just class act. I don't care what anybody says about her. She's awesome. That is excellent. You always have this, this positive energy around you. Uh, but you know, like I can speak for myself and probably for a lot of other people too, where like, no matter how positive we try to be, there are times in life where we stumble and we have our moments of doubt. Was there ever one particular time or maybe a few particular times where you felt that yourself? Well, there, here's the thing. There's no such thing as being positive. It's like having a pot on the stove with nothing in it. And you're pretending that you're going to serve all your family and friends this amazing dolma, but there is no dolma in the pots. You haven't made anything. So saying you're going to be positive, there's no such thing, but your rituals equal you being positive. You're getting ahead of what is going to happen because things happen to me every day that, you know, make me go down on the emotional scale where I feel fearful or sad, but because I have rituals every day, like meditation, working out, 
journaling, having gratitude, things that equal being positive. That's what being positive is. And it's the same thing with a, with a positive mindset or being mindful. It's your rituals that equal what you are. We were talking earlier, I, I kind of actually brought it up because I was technically slightly early for this interview showing up. And I told you I like to defy the Assyrian stereotype of showing up late to things. You know, I always like to be early. And then we were talking about uh, just, you know, Assyrian different uh, customs that we have and mentioning how we marry other Assyrians and stuff like that. But you actually did not marry an Assyrian, but you received support from your family for it. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with your husband and how that kind of came to be and how surprised you were to receive as much support for that? Yeah, you know, I've always known that I have an outstanding family, but they really showed their true colors. My husband and I dated uh, for seven years and he wanted to ask for my hand. And I said, you know, well, we got to go the Assyrian route. You got to call my parents up and you got to go over there. And uh, to my surprise, they were so accepting. They were so loving. My mom, in fact, told me if I didn't marry him, it'd be the worst decision of my life. Wow. And so, you know, I know people say, oh, Assyrian people are so strict. My parents were very strict growing up. My curfew was seven o'clock at night Ooh. coming home. Very strict. But, you know, when it came time to getting married, uh, my husband is more Assyrian than I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's My parents saw that he's an outstanding human being and wanted that for their daughter. And, you know, here we are 28 years later, two kids, four dogs. It's all good. <laughs> Have you taught him any Assyrian at all? Does he speak any of it? Yes. So you cannot go and talk Assyrian behind his back because he will understand. He knows. He knows yeah, what's he up. Knows. He knows what's up. And he, <laughs> he loves being around the older Assyrian people because, you know, the older community, they speak in Assyrian. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to leave anyone out or anything. But he's so with it and, you know, he communicates and everybody just adores him. That's excellent. You have to embrace, you have to embrace whatever your spouse is into, whatever culture, whatever religion, or it's just not successful. And that, that right there is being mindful. <laughs> Let's circle back a little bit back to the, the story of you coming here when you were six years old. Is there anything that now you would tell your six-year-old self new to the United States. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know what? We actually do this uh, project in my program where I have the kids bring in a picture of the time that was most difficult to them. And I always share my picture and my story with them to give them an example. I would go back and tell myself, uh, Mona, you're going to be okay. You're going to eventually learn to speak English and you're going to be uh, very smart and you are beautiful even though you have a boy's haircut and the universe and God's love will always surround you. That's wonderful. Do you ever really, without going into detail, because obviously it would be sort of on a personal level, but with these students and sometimes even their parents, do you ever get told, you know, one-on-one -on -one how much of an impact this program has had on oh, these kids? Definitely. I actually have the kids do a survey at the beginning of the program and a survey at the end of the program just to measure their growth just for what I'm doing. But I always get these letters or emails from kids who say, you know what, I thought about committing suicide this summer. I've not been happy my whole life. I have, great, I have a great family, but my thoughts and the way I've always felt I decided this summer I was going to kill myself if nothing else worked. I tried this 92-hour program, 
and it totally transformed my life. All different kinds of stories that the kids tell me that I don't even realize I'm even making an impact when I'm working with them. I'm just thinking, you know what, I'm gonna teach you these, I'm gonna give you these recipes, these tips and these tools, they are gonna make a difference, but to what extent, I really don't know. And to get feedback like that, or to have someone who's in a gang, who's no longer in a gang, who who had comes from a family whose father was uh, abusive, to really understand that that, abu that that father was abused. You can't give what you don't have. These kids, when I, break, when I read their testimonials, I literally break down into tears because I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that this was really impacting your life on that big of a scale. And I can only imagine that that's just within a couple of different schools in one city. Uh, so that brings me kind of to my next question. What is the overall plan for a mindfulness leader? Do you want this to go national? Yes, definitely. Uh, we're in Chicago now. We want to roll it out to New York. But my plan is for this to go nationwide. And I am working with the White House. They're mentoring me on how we can go nationwide and how we can go big because they really do see the value of these social emotional life skills because they don't teach this anywhere else. This is a first of its kind programming. They see the value in it. So I'm so grateful that someone there is recognizing the value so that this could go nationwide because all children need to be loved, cared for, heard and seen and learn these simple techniques. There's no such thing as being positive. You have to fill that pot on the stove with your rituals and things that equal you to a successful human being. You can go out and get 100 degrees, but if you're miserable on the inside, you're miserable. We do so much for our kids. We put them in sports. We put them in the best schools. We tutor them, brush your teeth, go to the doctor, but we do nothing for their mind. And that's where everything starts. That's why this kind of programming is so important. I recall my high school years had, you know, there were child development classes. There were certain classes that taught you how to balance a checkbook, uh, set a budget for yourself, but nothing that really regarded your, your feelings and how you were doing on the inside, let alone how you were planning for life on the outside. So I think this is so valuable. And uh, people can find out more about this at mindfulnessleader.org. And are you also on social media as well? I'm absolutely on social media. If you go to mindfulnessleader.org, it'll plug you into all the social media outlets that you can follow. So we're on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and I am constantly posting of what we're doing in the classroom. And the one thing people are always surprised to find out when they visit the actual classroom or the social media outlets is that we're having a lot of fun. We're dancing, we're playing games. And the reason we're doing that is because I am teaching a subject that is not very exciting. So of course our activities have to be exciting. How else am I gonna learn, teach children about their emotions without actually having them do some kind of physical activity so that they learn they are in control of their emotions and they can move themselves away from those bad feelings. I always like to wrap, uh, actually all of us at the Assyrian Podcast, like to wrap up the interview by asking our guest, what is one thing you'd like to tell our worldwide audience of Assyrians and maybe perhaps some non-Assyrians listening as well? You know what? I want to say to all Assyrians and to everyone, 
Continue being a good person. Continue loving and supporting one another because you never really know who is in pain. And when people are heard and seen, they just light up. And I feel like our Syrian community is really great at being supportive to one another and loving one another. And not just our Syrian community, I, I have that a lot in my life. I'm surrounded by that. And just for everyone to go out there and try to do their little part in this world. And that doesn't mean money. It could be smiling at someone. It could be helping someone with homework. It could be visiting a homeless shelter. But you have to do something for someone else because God has given you this life and you have to pay your rent back to God. So how are you showing up in this world? Because you are here in this world. And that is a gift in itself. And you have to be a gift to someone else. Service. Mona, thank you so much for your time. And hopefully, sooner than later, we can see Mindfulness Leader everywhere. Yes. Thank you so much. A huge thank you to everyone that stuck around for the entire episode. If you love what you heard, smash that subscribe button and listen to the Assyrian Podcast every week. Head on over to AssyrianPodcast.com to meet our entire passionate team and submit a potential future guest using our nomination form. Thank you once again for listening and helping us get the word out.